This morning, I get to uh, introduce you to a friend of mine who is part of the family, the the capital F family, the capital C church here in the region, uh, because we really, truly believe that Jesus has one church. He has one church, and, uh, and whether we're meeting in South Seattle or around the globe or here in Linwood, wherever we are, all who open up the scriptures and all who call upon the name of Jesus, we're family. And so that's an amazing thing to get to express that today. Steve, we met maybe, I guess, nine months ago or so, and uh, we were introduced uh, through another mutual pastor friend, and I'll let him tell a little bit more of his story and his background, but he basically moved out to Seattle a couple years ago with the intention to plant a church in Seattle. And you guys, I cannot tell you how excited that makes me, because anytime new churches are being planted in the name of Jesus, that's a good thing, because people need to meet Jesus and hear the gospel, and so uh, we're really excited to get to welcome Steve. He'll explain a little bit more about the church plant here in a few minutes, but I'm going to do this. Before we do any, before he comes, before we do anything else, would you open your Bibles to John chapter six. We as a church are going through the gospel of John and we're going to be in John chapter six, just continuing this rather um, intense discourse that Jesus is having with uh, the people. I'm going to invite Shandice to come. She's going to do our scripture reading for today. So let's turn our hearts and our attention to God and his word as we uh, dive in today. This is the word of God. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, this not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How did he say now, I have come down from heaven? <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the man of the Son of God and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the, fa- not like the, bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue, and he taught at Capernaum. Good morning, family. Good morning. Hi. Hi. My name is uh, Steve Patton. Uh, I am uh, one of the pastors and planters of Reunion Seattle, which is a a church in South End of Seattle. And yes, I have been told uh, that I look like Pittsburgh Steelers coach Mike Tomlin. Um, (laughs) That's a thing. We don't have to hang out there. We don't have to do that after service. Dude, have you? Yes, yes, I have. Yes, I have. It's a thing. I'm, I'm aware. We don't have to do that. We can just enjoy each other today. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, well, a bit of, a bit about me before we jump into the text. Um, again, uh, Steve Patton. Here's a. Here, I have a wonderful family. They make me look so much better than uh, what I really am. This is my wife Nicole, my beautiful wife Nicole of 13 years. Uh, this is the one on the. On this side here, you've got Alana. She's eight, and the one on my shoulders is Layla. She is four, uh, and we also have one not pictured here, uh, but currently uh, in in my wife's belly right now, due in May. So we've got 
Yes, yes, yes. If anybody's got pointers for three, I'm all ears. I'm all ears. I'm all ears. Thank you. Yes, yes. Uh, but we moved to the Seattle area about two years ago. So I'm, I'm personally, I'm a Detroit native. My wife is a uh, native of New England. Go Patriots. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hey, diversity. Yes. Diversity. Yes. Yes. I can say that and we can still be family. Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. Uh, but yes, she's a New England native of uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Yes, people are from Rhode Island. That's a thing. That's a thing. Uh, we met when we were, in, we were both in college in uh, the great state of Oklahoma, which is a great place to go to school because there's nothing to do, so you will learn a lot. Uh, we, we met there, and then uh, we spent our adult lives doing ministry in places where it's hard. We uh, we, we started doing ministry together back in her hometown in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, watched God build a wild, great, diverse church there in Newport, Rhode Island. Starting a church plant there. And then we figured, you know, let's go somewhere else easy. So we felt the call of God to go to the Bay Area and be in uh, San Jose. Yeah, because it's easy there, right? Uh, we were there. And we were there for about two years. And then um, we, we, we came up to the Seattle area with the intent to uh, plant a church. So we joined a, uh, we started off by joining staff uh, at a church here in the area at uh, Reach Church over in Kirkland. Uh, we were on staff there with the intent to plant a church in the city of Seattle because, again, we like the easy stuff. Um, and we went there, and, and in June, excuse me, in July, July 23rd, me and uh, my friend Sam Smith said, hey, we were, because we were on staff together, say, hey, what would it look like we did this thing together? And we wanted to, we wanted to plant a, a church uh, in South Seattle that would be all about Jesus, uh, his family, and the city that he placed us in, uh, in a, a church that would be diverse as the, the, the city and the gospel uh, would allow. And uh, J- July 23rd, we, we had our first gathering and just said, hey, let's just see who comes. And we started meeting in, uh, in his house on Beacon Hill. And since then, we've been going. And man, it has been, it's been a wild ride. Here's some of the team that, that decided to join us and say, hey, let's do this. Uh, you've got uh, Arlen Palo Alto up top. You've got Brian and Sasha Perez there, Kai and Angela Wright. Uh, that's Sam uh, and his wife, Astaire. That's who we planted with. Uh, that is this, this handsome gentleman here, the third one. It's, he's single. He's our, worship, he's, he, he's our worship and arts director, Connor. He's single. He's handsome. Just very talented, just putting that out there. Um, uh, this couple here, we actually just prayed for them uh, last Sunday. It was their last Sunday with us. We prayed for them as they were going to go down and do ministry in, the, in their hometown in the city of Tacoma. Uh, so we just prayed for them, and, and we sent them, and they left uh, last Sunday. It was, they've been, they were a fantastic part of our team, and we, we, we pray for them, for God to continue to use them uh, in the city of Tacoma. And then this other handsome gentleman there is my brother-in-law, Isaiah. He's no longer single, but... Um, that, that's him. He's a pastoral uh, apprentice, and he runs our kids' ministry along with uh, some other stuff, plays music. He's, yeah, he's great. So that's our team. Uh, it's a wild, diverse team that God started us with, and our church has reflected that, and it's been, uh, it's been amazing. We've been going for about seven months now, and we actually just had a great milestone for us. We just had our first baptisms. Yes, yes. We just had our first baptisms, which was, which was wild. Like this guy here, Peyton, he started coming to reunion uh, in September. And it was the first time he had ever gone to church. Like, so the guy who's in there baptizing him, that's Adrian. He also got baptized that day, but he was the one that first brought him to church. And the night before they came, he said, hey, man, I've never, never, man, I, I don't know if I can go. I don't have the money for the dues to come. Like, dues? Like, I it's not how this. It's not how this goes. It's it's free. You know, I've never been. I don't. I don't know how it works. So he started there in September, and then in February we baptized him and his new fiance. Um, just just a few short weeks ago. So uh, that's just the the kind of wild stuff God's been up to in our little neck of the woods in South Seattle. Uh, we, we wanted to plant a church where Jesus would be glorified, that He would unite us back to Him, because uh, that's what. Ephesians 1 says that the plan of God for, for all eternity, that's been the plan from the very beginning, that he'd be uniting things through Jesus. He'd be uniting things uh, unto himself. And our, our mission statement is we just want to join Jesus as he unites all things. And we're convinced that he's reuniting us back to himself 
uh, back to one another as family and back to the work that he would have us to do in the city where he plants us to glorify his name in it uh, for us that's in the city of Seattle. So we just want to see Jesus made much of, made much of in the city of Seattle. Uh, that's what we're about. Uh, that's how we've been, and we're just praying for, uh, praying for more. They're, they're meeting right now in Beacon Hill. Uh, we meet right next to the train station, which is great because we always catch people like headed downtown. Like, what, are, what is that? Come on in. So that's been a great ride thus far. Uh, continue to pray for us that God would continue to save the lost, uh, unite his family together, and, and bring us back into serving one another and serving the city that he would uh, place us in. Amen? Amen. So that's a bit about me. It's a bit about our church. Let's get, a, let's get into a bit about this text here, yeah? Let me jump, in, jump into uh, the book of John here, John chapter 6. And I'm just going to really just telegraph my punch from the outset here. What Jesus is ultimately getting at in this very interesting dialogue, this very interesting interaction that he's having here, well, we'll see as we already read, he kind of says some, says some weird stuff here a little bit. And we'll unpack some of that, but the core of what Jesus is getting at here is to believe. Believe in him. That's what he's getting at. So if, if, if you fall asleep and you wake back up at the end of the sermon, just know. <laughs> the core here is to believe in him. And so we, we pick up kind of where we, where we left off last week where, where, where Jesus is, is interacting with these He's interacting with these, with, with these Jewish people here in Capernaum, and he's like, hey, you know, he just said that he was the bread that came down from heaven. You know, they were there to celebrate the, that, that, that God had sent down when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness in the Exodus, uh, bringing them out of captivity into their own uh, promised land, and God had rained down the stuff called, that they called manna. And manna literally means, what is that? which I think makes perfect sense because if food is falling from heaven, like it's raining food. What is that? (laughs) And they're there to celebrate that. And Jesus says, Hey, this bread that fell from heaven, that what is it? It's, it's, it's me. It's me. I'm here to, I'm here to take you back to the father. That's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. And that's what that was for to show you. So, Hey, I'm the bread that came down. And it says here in, in right as it, as it jumps off, they began to grumble. They began to grumble because he said, I am the, the, the bread that came down from heaven. And now, now they're in Capernaum, right? There's some good Galilean folk. I'm from, I'm from the west side of Detroit, so I, I would word this a little different. My, I wouldn't say, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph? Like where I'm from, he's like, ain't that, ain't that Mary and Joseph's boy? He told me he came down from heaven. That's, that's Mary and Joseph. You're from 8th Street. You ain't from heaven. What are you talking about from heaven? You're from Plymouth. What are you doing? But what they were doing is they interacted with Jesus. They do what we do. We, we, we interact with Jesus, and we want to bring him down to our level. We hear his claims, and we want to bring him down to our level. Like, he's not divine. Jesus isn't divine. He, maybe, at best, he's a good example and a good moral teacher. But Divine? The Savior? Nah. We bring them down to our level. That's what we do. When we, they did the same thing that we do because if we can bring them down to our level, we don't have to do what he says. So I'd rather wrestle Jesus down to my level. He ain't from heaven, boy. Sit down. You Joseph, boy. I remember you didn't know how to, you, you couldn't even mount a, a horse properly. Boy, go sit down. Bring Jesus down to our level. And then we don't have to listen to them. They did it then, we do it today. And then we walk away singing, what if God was one of us? (laughs) Lower him so we don't have to obey him. But then he said, hey, don't, don't, don't grumble about that. Nobody comes unless the father draws him. Whoa. See, they were trying to bring him down, and Jesus immediately starts to elevate the conversation. You keep trying to make me about earth, but I'm about heaven. Nobody comes unless the Father draws him. And Jesus is showing right there, 
Salvation is initiated by God. See, salvation is not initiated by us. See, for them, their salvation wasn't initiated because they were either excited or curious about the celebration of God bringing down this bread from heaven. For us, our salvation is not initiated by our good spiritual acumen, the power of our free will, or any of that. It's not initiated by our curiosity, our curiosity for spiritual things. That's what, that's what really got me going. I was curious about spiritual things, right? Been there, yes. There right now, yes. Your research and trying to prove or disprove the reality of God or the reality of who Jesus is and his claims, your research and all of your digging, that's not what brought you to salvation. Your good works and your good deeds is not what brought you. It's not because you're so good and you're so kind and you're so sweet and you're so beautiful and you're so great and you're so tall and you're so whatever. Nothing that you did initiated it. Well, God needed me because nobody else in my family, he needed me to be the one. So he saw me and said, I'm the, no, no. initiated by God. God starts it. It's not because you can pull up your bootstraps so high as you begin to try to pull up your bootstraps towards heaven, your boots will rip in half and realize you can't make it there. God is the initiator of our salvation. And you may be in here today because you're curious. You may be in here today because you are spiritual and not religious, and, but you don't want to just write Christians off and you have questions. God may be using those things to draw you. That may be the avenue that he's using, the thing that he's pulling on to draw you, but it is God that is drawing, drawing you. He's drawing you. And notice, notice what Jesus doesn't say here because many people will use this scripture I know you guys got into it a little bit last week, you know, about like, you know, predetermining and fate versus free will and free choice and all of that. And, and people will use this verse to get on either side of that discussion, right? right? They'll use this verse to get on either side of that argument, which is really an argument that you can only have in the privilege of not being the persecuted church. When you have the safety to argue about very small mechanical things, Right? The church in Iraq is not arguing about this right now. They're not. ISIS is kicking down their door telling them, to, you either recant, you say the Shahada and follow Allah, or we cut your head off. Yeah, they're not saying, well, did I choose this? Did he choose me? Like, how, I don't, uh. Right? It's not an argument, but what Jesus does do here, for no matter where you land in this very privileged argument, what Jesus does say to both is that he draws. Many, many especially those who, who are hyper on the predeterminism side, would say that it's almost a forcing. Like, no, 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 no. God never says he forces us. You will be served. Get there. And many who are very much so on the, quote, free will side. I don't know what a will is if it's not free anyway, but that's another discussion. Right? They, they would say, like, oh, you know, they, they just want you to, you know, like, no, 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 it's not forcing. Or... Jesus said, God draws us. He draws us. He doesn't compel us. He does not force us. But rather, rather, ra rather than pushing us, it's a delightful wooing by the Father. As the great African philosopher and theologian St. Augustine points out, it is not necessity but pleasure which draws. It is not obligation but delight. With how much greater force ought we to say that man is drawn to Christ who delights in truth, who delights in blessedness, in justice, who delights in, ever, in life everlasting, which is altogether Christ. God draws us, compels us, 
zoom in. He, 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 he woos us, not by, a, not by a force, like you will get there behind us kicking, but rather wooing us. Wooing us with the delight that he is, with the sweetness that he is. Oh, how sweet our Savior is. Oh, how wonderful our God is. He is wonderful and true and kind. He woos us to himself. Oh, and then, and then when we smell the sweet smell of the Savior, we're like, oh, what, what is that? Yeah. That is not by demand or command, but by sweetness and delight and desire. Now, he may find, the, you may find the sweetness through something that you call your rationale, and you want to see if this, these claims are rational, but what's in that is not you doing some simple mathematic equation in your head, but rather there is something behind your math and your rationale and your philosophy and the things happening behind the scenes and all of that, which even makes you want to even engage in that thing in your head and in your heart is the sweetness of God himself drawing you to himself through that. wooing you. You think you're getting into a Facebook argument. When we're trying to argue him right or wrong, he's wooing us because he is good and he's sweet. And that's how we get to him. We get to him because he woos us with his sweetness. And then he says, You believe in me. And the father is wooing. You're wooed by that sweetness and you believe in him. I'll raise you up. And I will raise you up. Man, look at that promise that I will raise you up. The great hope that we have is Jesus raising us up just like he raised himself up. It's him raising us. See, they were trying to pull him down to be on their level. Boy, you from, you from Galilee. Go sit down somewhere. They were trying to pull him down. And he said, no, 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 no. I came down that I might raise you up. And the great hope that, that, that we have is not just eternity with him in some kind of like disconnected, disembodied soul floating around heaven in the, like a long see-through robe. And we float around eating bonbons and grapes off the clouds with the angels. But rather, Jesus promises that there is a resurrection of our body that we get in him. And he promises that, that, that even our, as our skin has turned to ash and been scattered through the dirt, that it would be gathered together again amongst our bones. And Jesus would resurrect us and raise us up from this earth in the great resurrection. That is the great hope that we have in him. It's his promise. It's his promise. We believe in him. He will raise us up. Now, we have to take into consideration the one who was promising this, though, right? He's been promising, and God has kept his promises throughout all of written human history. He promised Abraham, hey, you're going to have kids, and those kids are going to multiply, turn into nations. I'm like, Abraham's like, man, I'm old. What are you talking about? I'm old, and I got no kids. And God says, oh, 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 I'm going to give you some Bruno Mars. Don't believe me. Just watch. <laughs> And he does it, turns him into a great nation. And then this great nation, because of their disobedience to God, they fall into captivity. But he promises these people, I'm going to bring you out of captivity. Then 400 years, that's a long time to be waiting to get out of the captivity. Pharaoh's been doing his thing. He's been building these pyramids and everything else. And he's like, but no, I'm going to bring you out of captivity. And then after 400 years, he sends his servant Moses and leads them out of captivity, right? You've seen the prince of Egypt, right? He leads them out of captivity. He kept his promise. And then he promises through them that he would bring the Messiah and have the prophets telling that the Messiah would come, that God would be in the flesh and he'd come and live among them and that he would save them from their sin. And he, he promises this over and over and over all throughout. That's what the prophets are all writing about. They're writing about this promise that is to come. And then Malachi speaks and then we hear nothing until we hear that God becomes flesh and dwells among us. He keeps His promise. And then Jesus promises, hey, nobody takes my life. This is like, to me, this is the most gangster thing like you could say, right? Hey, no one takes my life. I lay it down and I pick it up when I'm ready. 
And then what does he do? He lays his life down, raises again from the grave, just like he promised. And then he promised that God would send his Holy Spirit. And we see that promise coming to fruition in Acts chapter 2. He promised all of these things. God has promised and he has kept his promise. And here is Jesus promising, you believe in me, I will raise you up. Believe in me and I will raise you up. That is the great hope that we have in him. And so he says very plainly, this is what I'm convinced is the core of the thing. Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever believes, you have eternal life. So believe in him. Now, here's what he's not asking us to do. He's not asking us to simply have a mental assent to agreement. Jesus, Jesus was a real historical figure. There, I believe that the death and resurrection happened. I agree. Check. <laughs> That's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to believe. Believe. Have trust. Put your faith in him. The, the, the way I always like to kind of summarize belief is if you take your, you take your highest hopes and your deepest fears. You take your greatest joys and your deepest regret and and everything that would cause you to chase those things. Because those are the real things that cause us to make our decisions and everything else. We chase our, we either chase our greatest joys or we run from our deepest fears. We're either pursuing our greatest hopes or we're running from our greatest regrets. And And what faith is to say, I take all of those things, put them in a bucket and I lay them at the feet of you. Now, we all believe in that sense in something. We all do. We all do. There is something in our lives that has the majority of that bucket, if not all that bucket, that causes us to move. That's what we functionally have faith in. Some of us functionally have faith in our W-2. This is the thing that has ultimately determined how I live. This determines my decisions. This, is the, this ultimately determines what I think is right or what is wrong. Is this decision the right decision or a wrong decision? Well, how will my W-2 end up in the end? I know this client belongs to my coworker over here, but there's a way I can process this paperwork where it can go in my name and it won't go to their name and I'll get all the credit and my commission will be higher. I'm going to do that. Because my greatest hope is in my W-2. My greatest hope is in my prestige. So how is this decision going to make me look? Is this going to embarrass me or is this going to make me look better? Well, if it's going to make me look better, then I'm going to make that decision. Regardless of who it impacts or who it affects, I look good. You know... can I, can I go? Can I go here real quick? Can I go here? Okay. So one of the saddest places where I see this play out. Now I am unashamedly, unabashedly pro-life. I am. I'm unashamedly, unabashedly pro-life. But one of the places where I see this play out so much, as much as I do sadly weep when I hear the figures about uh, abortion in the, in the African-American community, and I, I weep when I see those figures, Right also see the number of children that are actually born in the African-American community, you know, outside, you know, in wedlock, and people will point to those numbers too. But one thing that being in suburbia for a while has shown me is that while we will on one hand mock those, 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 those children that are born to unwed parents, no one mentions all the suburban kids driving into the city to go get abortions because that will make our family look bad. No one talks of that because that decision, that hope, that prestige is now going to be in shambles and I cannot let that happen. So you will go down to that clinic, young lady. Fortunately, there is absolutely grace for that situation. There is grace for the person pursuing their W-2 as their greatest hope. Grace for the person pursuing uh, their prestige as their greatest hope. There is grace for the person who, whatever you're pursuing, that is your functional savior. That's where you've laid that bucket. There is grace for you. And that's why 
It doesn't start with us. It starts with him wooing us. But Jesus is saying, take that bucket away from all of those other things. Put it in me. Put that bucket in me. You put that bucket in me and what I will give you is eternal life. I'm not just going to give you getting by from week to week. I'm not just going to give you getting by from day to day. As Jesus points out here as he goes on to talk about their, how their forefathers ate, what is it? And they got by from day to day. Jesus is like, they ate that, lived from day to day. And as we read from the account, both in Hebrews, Paul references it in, uh, in Corinthians, and then the writer of Hebrews references it again. Many of these who ate from this, what is it, that God provided from heaven, they ate it and they died. But Jesus says, you eat this. You eat this bread that I give you. Oh, you will have eternal life. You won't just go from day to day or week from week. You're going to go from glory to glory. You're going to go from one life to a greater life. You're going to go from down here to being raised up and resurrected with me. That's what I offer you as you lay that bucket in me. I'm not just going to give you getting by just to get by. I'm going to give you life and life eternal. I'm going to give you what you're really looking for. I'm going to give you what your heart truly sings for. I'm going to give you what your hopes are truly after. I'm going to give you what your deepest sense of dread is truly running away from. I'm going to give you what your greatest joy is truly going to find its greatest contentment in. And I'm going to give you what your greatest sense of dread is trying to run away from. I'm going to give you all of that. You put your faith in me. That's what Jesus is calling them to, to believe, to trust. Now, Jesus just said, the way that you do that, because he said, believe in me, and you have eternal life. Then he said, if you, like, like how they ate that bread, you eat this bread. Point to him, so you eat this bread. You drink this cup, which is my blood. You eat, you eat, you eat this bread, which is my body. Now, I'm not sure it happened like this, but I'm picturing Jesus like getting like hyped up. Oh, but if you eat this bread right here and you drink this blood, right? I see Jesus getting like quasi Pentecostally, right? Like I see him going in. <laughs> and at this point, they have a, at least on the surface, if, because they've only been looking at Jesus on the surface, right? You ain't from heaven, you're from Nazareth. Right? They have, they've been only looking at Jesus on the surface. So on the surface, Jesus makes this claim now. Now, first you say you're from heaven. Now you start talking about like, eating flesh and drinking blood. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> that's, that's weird. No, no, I'm not. No, there's strict laws that very clear, like not like poetic, like don't eat flesh or drink blood. Like that's a thing. Like don't eat people. That's a thing. We, we're Jewish people. We don't do that. But here's what, here's what Jesus is, here's what Jesus is getting at. Eating and drift. So he said, believe. And I'll raise you up. Eat and drink, and I'll raise you up. He's saying that this belief, this all-in, all-consuming belief. Your highest highs, your lowest lows, you give that all to me. It's an all-consuming belief. It's not just a a mental assent to agreement. It's an all-consuming belief. So he's paralleling, again, consuming, eating. It's flesh and blood. Consume it. Process it in. It's an all-in type of belief. Eating and drinking is belief in what he has done. You eat and you drink, it's an all-in, it's an all-encompassing, it's an it's a all-in-or-nothing type of belief. Now, both to them and to us, that presents something that is a, could be a little, bit offensive, a little bit offensive, yeah? Because to them, they're like, you're talking about cannibalism, fam. Like, no, that's not a thing. We're not doing that. And Jesus is like, no, get past that. I'm talking about an all-encompassing Exclusive belief in me. Like, oh, no, Jesus, that's still offensive. What do you mean all-encompassing, all-encompassing exclusive belief in me? What? 
No, it's, it's an all-in kind of belief because we want to we hedge our bets still sometimes. Like we'll say, God, yeah, we'll give you some of what I got, and Jesus will slap your name over the top of it to kind of hide it, but I'm still kind of holding out because karma still might be a thing. They still might be right. The stuff they're teaching me in yoga class still might have something that I'm still holding on to. So, Jesus, you can't have this part. Namaste. <laughs> and that, to a modern, post, post-modern Western, Western thinking person, that's offensive. What do you mean exclusive, only way like all in, nothing, like what about all of these other things? All these other good moral things that I'm learning? What about all of these other good people that I know? But let's say, let's say you're right. Let's say we concede. People to people, let's say you're right. You're good. You haven't killed anyone. Or you haven't killed as many people as the other guy did that you know that's killed more people than you. (laughs) You treat your kids fairly well. You treat your husband or your wife fairly well. You're not as bad as those other people you know. You you you, You only get drunk or high on the weekends, five days out of seven, the, the, the math is heavily in your favor. <laughs> As you start to stack it all up and compare it against other people, in the end, when, when everything finally all weighs out, eh, it tips your favor. Okay, let's say we concede that. How does good fare in the face of holy? Because that's ultimately what we're up against. We're not up against good for eternal life. We're not up against good. We're up against holy. And we definitely live in a culture where we, are, we have a bent towards justice. Right? We believe justice is a thing. If something bad happens, someone has to pay. That's the only way it will be made right. And our, our country is in, is our culture is in an uproar because as we see in our country and in the world, we see so many different things that we look at and we scream injustice. We pound our fists and we write hashtags and we change our avi on Facebook because injustice. Get bumper stickers, we do the whole thing. But what does injustice look like in the face of the holy? Who pays for that? If our deeds are done in the face of God, even all, when we start to even weigh all the good and the bad, when does it stack up to holy? And if it never stacks up to holy, then that means that there is an injustice that has been done in the face of the holy, and someone must pay for that. Who pays for that? And if, someone, and if someone's got to pay for that, if someone has to deal with justice in the face of the holy, then my question is not why is Jesus the only way. My question is why is there a way at all? There is no path that leads us to holy. Moksha never enters us into holy. Doing enough good to outweigh your bad never enters us into holy. So who takes care of that? Well, it has to be the only one who can take care of that. The only one with enough currency, the only one with enough holiness to deal with unholiness is the holy one himself. And so he comes down from heaven just like the bread and lives among us so that this bread would be torn so that the bread would be torn, so that his body would be torn, so that someone would pay for this injustice that's done in the face of the holy. And Jesus 
embodies God himself. Now, some look like, what do you mean, Jesus, God? Like what? Like he already goes through this. Like if you're learning, you got to learn from God, and you're learning from me right now, so you're learning from God. And then we even, like Christmas time, we get all excited and we celebrate, right? And then we hear, we, we, we hear the, the, the prophet Isaiah, you know, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, but in the son will be called father. Like what? Yeah, the son will be called father. He will be called God. God comes down to be broken, bloodshed for us. This is what he has done for us. And then in his death for our sin, to, so that justice can be done on our behalf. And then anyone who says, oh, no, I'm, this is the plea deal. Yes, I'm going with the plea deal. I'm accepting this plea that's done on my behalf. The judge gets out of the judge box and he gets down, he, he gets right down on the front. He sits right there and said, hey, I'm the one who's going to pay for this criminal. And then showing off his power and his grace, he stands up, gets up from that grave and says, all power is mine. I've conquered all of it. The, the justice that you deserved, it falls on me. So put your faith in me, accept this plea deal that I'm giving you and I will give you eternal life. I came down, suffered for you, and I rose up so that you know for sure in the end you believe in me, I will raise you up. So Jesus calls us to eat and drink. To eat and drink, to believe in him so that we would have eternal life. That's why he is the only way, because he is the only one who has dealt with this injustice that's done before the court of the holy. And he made a way. He is the way. And that's why Jesus can make that bold claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, I am the way. No man comes unless... It draws him. It's, it's all, he's like, it's all about me. Believe in me. Take that bucket and put it in me. Believe in me. As Augustine was exploring this text, he talked about eating his flesh. Like, you talk about transubstantiation here? Like, no. Ask a good Jewish person. Was Jesus talking about actually eating flesh? No. It took 1,500 years for us to get back to say, maybe he wasn't talking about actually eating flesh here. Martin Luther had to come around and say, huh. Maybe, maybe not. What if we just asked a Jewish guy? Maybe we would have known. Where's Matt Rosenberg? We should have just asked him, right? <laughs> That's his line, by the way. Matt, if you hear this, I, I took that from you. God bless you. Um, Augustine, to explain this ultimately, he says, believe and you have eaten. Believe and you have eaten. And that's what he's calling us to. An all in belief. Maybe you were here and you're like, man, I got questions. And many of my questions about Jesus and the faith, they remain right now unanswered. But at the same time, there's this, like, I got all of this stuff on the outside, but at the core, at the, at the center, man, at the center I'm in on that. And God is wooing you through all of your questions and everything else right to that core to say, yes, believe. Take that bucket and lay it right here. Believe. I'm with you. I'm a fellow sufferer. I came to the faith through questions with so many more questions. And my faith has been strengthened because I've wrestled with questions. Like You're like, I'm a good thinking person. How could I possibly be like, eh, you know, the, the Bible and slavery, like that's a thing. Like, how do you believe in the face of that? Like, like good God, bad stuff. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you do with that? And what I'm saying is you still holding that, but there's still something in you that's saying, yeah, death, burial, resurrection for me calling. Yeah. Bring all your questions and your faith. Bring all your questions. God can handle them. I stand as a living example. God can handle them. Bring them. 
And maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, I don't, like I, like I got faith, but I've been, I've been holding out. Go all in. Go all in. What's waiting for you is eternal life. What's waiting for you is to be raised up with Jesus just as he promised. What's waiting for you is an eternity and glory with him, not just as a disembodied soul, but as your soul and body incomplete, resurrected with him, to be with him for eternity. What's, what's waiting for you is not, is it going to be a little difficult in this life? Maybe, but this life ain't all there is. This life is not all there is. Is he promising you how to make it from week to week? No, he's promising you how to make it from life to life. And then, you, and then we can say with the rest of the saints of old, death is just a doorway to take me to my faithful lover. Believe in him. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Believe in him wholeheartedly. Our all-in belief. May we believe in that way. May we eat of his body and drink of his blood and our belief as Augustine again may we believe and eat so that in the end we too may be resurrected and raised with him can we pray let's pray Jesus you raised us from death to life you did that you started it. It all starts with you. We, we love you because you first loved us. We get nowhere without you, but with you we get to the very end. God, I pray for those of us who know you, God, that we may be all in, not holding anything back. You didn't withhold one good thing from us. May we not withhold one thing from you. May we chase you. May we chase you into it all, God. May we follow you, just going after you completely, not holding anything back. No secret compartments of our heart that don't belong to you. And we offer it to you. And in return, you give us eternal life. In, the, in, in return, you give us joy everlasting. In return, we won't forget your benefits. In return, we, 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 we get you forever. Thank you for that unfair exchange. But thank you that you give it. May we continue to follow you wholeheartedly into eternity. And may those who are wrestling with you, God, may they stop wrestling and just follow your wooing and place their whole heart and their whole faith in you. And as you would do that, God, that you would keep your promise to them and raise them up. Raise them up to life and raise them up with you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, can we just say thanks to Pastor Steve for teaching us here today? Man. Just hearing this, hearing this teaching uh, for me today, too. For me, man, I, some of you know my story. I came to faith as a young child, uh, believing in Jesus but man, both this service and the one before, just feeling that conviction of the Holy Spirit. There are places in my life where I've hedged my bets. Places in my life where even as someone who's been a follower of Jesus for a long time, haven't gone all in. And I want to do so uh, in greater measure. So whether you're here today and you're in that place of just questioning, seeking, wrestling, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for multiple decades, longer than I've been alive, today is the day where we want to go all in on him. Amen? And so one of the ways we're going to do that today is we're going to uh, give of our tithes and our offerings. And so uh, let me just say this. If you're a guest or a visitor here, there is no obligation or arm twisting. This is something we want to invite you to, to be done as worship, as, as the scriptures would call us to. But Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think money, I mean, man, talk about, talk about going big, I mean, hitting money and W-2s and all that kind of stuff. It's taxis, and that's why it's on your brain, huh? Yeah, so... Man, where our treasure is, man, we can, we can actually say, no, God, I, I trust you in all these things, but I don't want to trust you with my finances. And, and here's an invitation to say, no, God, I'm going all in. I'm giving what's yours to you. And so, again, no arm twisting or guilt. We don't believe in that at all. The Bible doesn't call us to that. But an invitation to worship God and to go in and to support the work of the ministry here and to, for your own heart, worship him in greater measure.
We're also going to, in a moment, celebrate communion. You should have received the elements on your way through the doors as you were gathering in. And, and I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 as you uh, get those elements ready. And this is, this is what we read, and we, we, we wrap our, our minds and our hearts around it the best we can each week. But Jesus said, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke the bread just as his body is broken on the cross. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, uh, this cup is the, can you go back one please? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Uh, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That his his blood was spilled out. This, This price was paid for our redemption in the ultimate sense. And then there's this, there's this warning. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And one of the things that can happen, we see that warning, which is a serious warning, is, well, I'm not worthy. I, and, and the thing is, is the only requirement for coming to the table is knowing that you in and of yourself are not worthy. That's why it's a celebration of his grace. Amen. To come in today and say, oh, I've, I'm, I'm doing pretty good this week. Now that's the unworthy manner. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment. We'll play instrumentally to give you a moment to be able to pray and, and allow God to search your heart. Say, God, where, where am I holding back from you? Where have I not gone all in? Where have I not just pushed all my chips to the center of the table? It says, I'm going in on and Jesus. And in a moment, we'll stand and we'll sing. And, and when you're ready, you can eat and you can drink. And then we'll participate in this together. God, we, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this call to believe. And and God, I ask and I pray that you would help us, um, as imperfect as we are, to not hold anything back from you. But God, we'd say it's it's Jesus or nothing else. God, whether, uh, whether we've been following you for five minutes or five decades, I pray, God, that we would go to that deeper place of faith and trust in you. And I ask and I pray now that you would search our hearts and help us to know how we are to respond. In Jesus' name.